And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he flatter, uh, corrupt by flatteries. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Daniel chapter 11 is a prophetical chapter. It tells about the deeds of a man named Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, Daniel was written in the 500s B.C. Antiochus Epiphanes lived in the 2nd century, the, the, the late 100s B.C. Antiochus Epiphanes was a political descendant of Alexander the Great. We all know Alexander the Great ruled Greece. When he died, when Alexander the Great died, he was replaced by four generals. And then one of those four generals, his descendant, not uh, his political descendant, the man who followed him was this man, Antiochus Epiphanes. He was a, a brutal man. And I'm not going to take the time to tell you about his, what he did. But he came into Jerusalem and he set things up the way he wanted them. And then he went off to try to conquer Egypt. He didn't, he didn't conquer Egypt. While he was gone, there was an uprising of the Jews. And he got word of it. He had set up his own high priest in Jerusalem, and uh, so he, he raced back to Jerusalem to, uh, to fight the Jews. They had put their own high priest in to replace his guy. And he committed all kinds of atrocities against the Jews, and uh, this Antiochus Epiphanes. And the Jews stand up, st- stood up to him. And uh, that is, the, you've heard of the... Uh, Maccabean rebellion, and uh, that's that was the occasion there, and that is. But but he covenanted. He knew that there were Jews who were not loyal to God. They were going to do their own thing, and so he knew that he could covenant with them. By the way, if you're not loyal to God, Satan knows who you are, and he's going to try to reach out and covenant with you. That's that's what the first part of this verse says. Such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he, Antiochus Epiphanes, corrupt by flatterers. Understand, by the way, that this is all prophesied by Daniel 300 years before it happened. And it happened to the detail in Daniel 11. So, such as do wickedly against the covenant, against God's covenant, shall he, Antiochus Epiphanes, corrupt with flattery. He, he makes an alignment with them. But then there's another group of Jews but the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploit. So there's a prophecy there that Daniel is making about an event that will happen 300 years later. This man, Antiochus Epiphanes, is also a foreshadowing of the Antichrist. But because the Antichrist is going to come and do very much the same thing. So in two different ways... This is prophetical in one way that has already been fulfilled, in another way that has not yet been fulfilled. But I'm not preaching prophecy tonight. This is a prophetical passage, but I believe that everything in the Bible teaches us something about the character of God. Even the genealogies. What do the genealogies teach us? If nothing else, it teaches that everybody is important to God and he knows our name. 
Even the Levitical law, even though much of it is not in, in practice anymore, it, it, was, it was canceled by the cross, the, the uh, uh, religious laws and rites and rituals. Nevertheless, it teaches us principles about God. I don't have time to go into that, but I, I hope you understand that. And I believe every prophecy teaches us something about the character of God and how he interacts with man. And so in this prophetical passage, when it makes this statement, the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits, I believe we're learning a principle in addition to the prophecy that we see here. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at that principle the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. All of that little preamble there was just to let you know we're not taking this out of context. We're examining it in its context and making application for ourselves. There's three parts of this statement. The people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. The first part talks about who we know. The people that do know their God. The second part talks about what we are, shall be strong. That's our character. That's who we are. And the third part talks about what we do, shall do exploits. The people that do know their God shall be strong and shall do exploits. What we know, the people that do know their God. What we are shall be strong and do exploits. That's what we do. Now, what we talked about this morning is people, God's people doing exploits. And the world needs for God's people to do exploits. I'm not going to re-preach this morning's sermon but if you were in here this morning, if you could just remind yourself of all the things we talked about, about reaching the people in our daily circles, reaching the people of the city of Danbury with the gospel, reaching the people of our state, states, of our region, of our nation, and of our world. Those are all exploits, what we do. And God needs all of us to do big things. We talked during the singing of the hymns this morning about Fanny Crosby. And Fanny Crosby did exploits. Just in a blind lady whose heart was overflowing with verse, wrote over 9,000 poems. And we sing her hymns in churches around the world every single Sunday. Exploits. But you're never going to do exploits until you are what you should be. Who am I? What is my character? What is my heart? How does God look? When he looks at me, does, does, does he see me as faithful? Does he see me as holy? Does he see me as hungry for him? That's what we are. And you're never going to do what you're supposed to do and what you could do if you're not being, if you have not become what God wants you to be. Everybody with me so far? All right, very good. Because we're not, we're not nearly there yet, all right? So three parts here. What, who we know, what we do, I'm sorry, who we know, what we are, and what we do. And we're all aware of what we do because our lives are all about doing. But you're not going to do 
what you should do to your full potential until you are what you're supposed to be. But back it up. You're not going to be what you're supposed to be if you don't know God. The people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Tonight I want to talk simply about knowing God. Let's look at a couple of passages. Turn over to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 8, 9, and 10. Philippians 3, verses 8, 9, and 10. We're going to turn to three passages all together, and I want you to see them with your own eyes. And then, if you want to study with the tools that we're introducing on Wednesday night, you can see that many other places in the epistles make these similar statements. But these are three of the best known and three of the most powerful, in my opinion. Philippians 3, verses 8 through 10. Yea, doubtless, the Apostle Paul says, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Do you ever meditate on Scripture? That'd be a great phrase, great statement to meditate on. The excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. And he said, everything outside of that is a loss. The excellency of the... Now, wait a second. If knowing God just means getting saved, why would Paul say that? If knowing God just means the general knowledge of God that everybody in this room already has, why would a man, and by the way, it is believed that Philippians is either the last or the second to last book that he penned, why would a man who is staring death in the face say, this is what I'm after? If knowing God just means what you learn in Sunday school, and I'm not minimizing that, but if, if that's all it is, then Paul should have reached that a long time ago. Now, there's something more to it than just being able to quote some verses. There's something more about the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. There's something more to that than what the average Christian has. Listen, if the average Christian has the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, listen to what I'm going to say. If the average American Christian already has the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, then Christianity is a fake. Because we haven't changed a thing in our generation. Now, the point I'm making is the average Christian does not have the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. We know about him, but we're content that we already know all that we need to know. Jesus described, you don't have to turn here, but he said this, Matthew 16, 24. And I remember when I was asked by, by uh, Mrs. Alibo, who recently went to heaven, was my Sunday school teacher, and she gave this to us as our memory verse, Matthew 16, 24. Jesus saith unto them, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And I remember, you know, I was, I was, I was a, an eight-year-old, and I knew everything. 
And I thought to myself, I don't know, Miss Alba, that's not one of the main ones. I'm not sure why we're learning that one. That's not one of the big ones. I'd never heard it before, so it couldn't be that important. But I memorized it. Why? Because I always learn my memory verse. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. There's something in there that most believers don't know anything about. There's some sacrifice in there. There's some self-denial in there that we don't know anything about. Paul says, everything's a loss that is not the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. Turn over now to Ephesians chapter 4. This is the second passage I'm going to ask you to turn to. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. And you can follow along as I read this. Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 13. This is talking about the structure of the church. If you want to know what God teaches about the church, you can't turn to a a more pertinent passage than Ephesians chapter 4. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. For what purpose? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, what's the ultimate purpose? Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Okay, here again we see this pursuit of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Wait a minute. If it's something that is so common, most Christians already have that, then why is the structure of the church set up to bring us all there. No. There's something beyond what you and I already have. I don't care how long you've been saved and how diligently. See, the more diligently you have pursued the knowledge of Christ, the more you know. Yeah, there's, there's something beyond where I'm at. Last one. Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3. And verse number 18. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 18. We're all very familiar with this verse. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you know why most Christians are absolutely powerless? Because we think we already know him. But we don't. This morning in Sunday school we talked about wisdom. And I told you how Mr. Ferrari, who is now Pastor Ferrari, a missionary to Ukraine. I told you how he 
told us in Christian school to put wisdom at the top of our prayer list. And as a, now by now I was a know-it-all 13-year-old, I thought, I'm, I'm pretty wise. <laughs> so I don't really, since I don't really know what this is, why should I pray for it? And praise the Lord, the Spirit of God showed me, no, there's, there's something that you need to know that you don't have yet. So go ahead and do what the man says because he knows more than you do. So from that day till this, wisdom is at the top of my prayer. I can show you my prayer list. Wisdom's at the top of it. And as I told my class this morning, if you get wisdom, you'll, you'll have the ability to solve most of your other problems. Wisdom. So, but here's where I'm going. Here's, here's why I brought that up. Because in the pursuit of wisdom, there's, there's something beyond you that, that you, don't, you don't understand yet. And you've got to go after something you don't understand yet. And the same is true with the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Knowing God, when I talk about knowing God, when the Bible talks about knowing God, there is something out there worth striving for in the knowledge of Jesus Christ that you don't understand. You don't even know the greatness of the prize. You just have to take God's word for it that it's worth it. So here's what I'm asking you to do is to live in pursuit of the knowledge of God. I don't mean the head knowledge. I mean knowing him. My wife knows me. She knows what I'm going to say before I say it. She knows, uh, she knows how I'm going to react to things. She, she knows me. And that's the way we need to know God. To know the heart of God. You're not always going to know what God's going to do, but you can know his heart. You can know Jesus Christ. He can be so real to you that, this could sound crazy, not only do you not have to see him, you almost don't care to see him. I'm talking about in this life. I can't wait to see him when we when we are united with him. But I'm talking about you can get to know him so fully by faith that you say, I don't have to see him. I take him at his word. I know his heart. I know him. We're talking about the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I am begging you tonight to consider getting hungry for something that you don't even understand why it's important. The knowledge of of Jesus Christ. All right? Here's the most important statement I'm going to make in the message tonight before I turn a corner here and tell you this story. The verse said, the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And you say, I can't do exploits. That's just not who I am. That's fine. Because listen, your first exploit is knowing God. Your first exploit is not winning a soul. Your first exploit is knowing God. Your first exploit is not changing a life. One thing you learn real fast in the ministry is you can't change a life. Your first exploit is knowing God. 
And everybody in this room can do that. Everybody in this room can do that. So I'm going to show you now the story of a lady whose great exploit was knowing God. You, I've told this story a number of times. As I said, I use it in a message that goes on the radio once a year. I've used it in messages here. I've told this story in uh, youth conferences where I've preached. It's one of my favorite stories. But to be honest with you, I've only told it based upon having heard it told. And so last Friday night, while Amy was speaking to the ladies and Catherine was speaking to the teenage girls and Amanda was there with them and me and Joe were in the office with the preacher. I said, Brother Vaprazan, I've told the story of your grandmother's Bible many times. And I said, to be honest with you, I'm not sure I have all the details right. Could you tell me the story? He said, I'd love to. He got up and he walked over to the shelf. And I wasn't even, I didn't even think of this. He pulled that Bible off the shelf that is in that story. And he brought it over and he opened it up and he pulled out that picture. He pulled out that picture right there that was in the Bible. That is a picture of his grandmother. That's his grandmother right there. What I didn't realize, as you see the date there, 1922, what I didn't realize is that when this story takes place, they already had three children. So that lady right there in this little village in Hungary in the early 1900s, there were then and there, there are now two churches in that little village in Hungary. A Catholic church where everybody went and a, a Baptist church that was you know, off, in, off in the corner. Brother Vaprazan said, I don't know why, he said, but my grandmother, she was saved. She went to the Baptist church, and I don't know why she married the man that she did, the man that's the man on the front row on your left. She said, I don't know why he, she married him because he was not saved. And he went to the Catholic church, and her, her, his, his children went to the Catholic church with him. I don't know why she married him in the first place. But he said, my grandfather was a drunkard, and he never worked. He didn't have a job. But as the story goes, one day, the and one of the, I hope you know this, and you don't think I'm being critical. If If you have a Catholic background, you know this is true. One of the strongholds of the Catholic faith for many years is you, do, you can't understand the Bible. You need to let us teach it to you. And for a very long time, you weren't allowed to have a Bible. 
Now, it wasn't the law in Hungary that you couldn't have a Bible, but because the church was so dominant, they held a lot of power over the people. And so the priest came calling, knocked on their door, and that man in the front row on your left answered the door. And the Catholic priest said, I understand that you have a Bible here because he knew that one of them Baptists lived in his house. And he said, I want you to bring it here. He said, because you can't possibly understand. You shouldn't even have a Bible because you can't possibly understand it. You need us. You have no business reading the Bible on your own. And that Catholic father, who was a drunk, but he was faithful to church. He said, I'll be right back. And he went and found his, his wife. His wife was expecting their next child. And he went and found her and he said, give me your Bible. And the, uh, the wife said, by the way, it was a little, little shack with a dirt floor. I never even pictured that. But he said, that's what he just tiny little shack with a dirt floor. The Catholic priest is outside. And they, the man said, give me the Bible. And she said, no. He said, if you don't give me this Bible, your Bible, I will hurt you. And she said, I don't care. I want my Bible. I'm not giving it up for anything. He said, you're going to regret that. He went back to the door. He said, I don't know, Father. I don't know what you heard, but we don't have a Bible here. I assure you. He said, okay. And he left. The husband went back. And what I didn't realize with her sons, especially the one son, standing right there, screaming for him to stop, begging for him to stop, he beat his wife bloody. And she lost her baby. But she would not give up her Bible. It was just a couple of years later, she was expecting again, and the very same thing happened. The Catholic priest came, knocked on the door, said, you have a Bible here, I know you do. And he said, I'll be right back. He goes, same exact thing, it repeated itself. And once again, she was expecting a baby, and her husband beat her until she lost the baby. But she wouldn't give up her Bible. Well, the day came that her son, there's the Bible right there. I held that in my hands last Friday night. Her son decided to go to America. That was 1922, as it says in the picture there. Decided he was going to America. I understand in those days you're going on a ship and you're probably never coming back. And the fact of the matter is the, the mom died, that lady in the front row died in 1963 and never did see her son again. They, they wrote but she never saw him again. And so for, he would live another, uh, she would live another 41 years and never see him, but he went to America, and she said, Son, I want you to take my most precious possession. But here's what I didn't realize. Her son, he had always gone to church with his dad, to the Catholic Church. He had never gotten saved. He was going to, to America, an unsaved man. And uh, so he went. She handed the Bible she said, take this to America with you. The same Bible that she wouldn't give up for the Catholic priest, she gave it to her son, said, take it to America. 
And she said, don't ever forget what it cost me. He brought it to America, but he wasn't saved, and he didn't live like a saved man. He actually moved to Norwalk when he first got here, worked, here, worked there for a while, and then wound up in Ohio, was living a loose life, met a, uh, a, a young lady who was all not saved and also living a loose life. And uh, they were married. They, he had a couple. This is the guy in the yellow here. They had a couple of dollar, da- daughters together. Found out that uh, he, he, he messed up. They were living. He was gambling, drinking the whole deal. And he had an affair. Felt so bad about it, he went to tell his wife and found out that she had been cheating on him for a long time. And he got so frustrated. He didn't know what to do about it. And uh, so he decided, I mean, this, this, sound, this, this is crazy, but he decided that he's gonna, just going to kill his whole family. They had gas lamps in their house living in, I think, O'Leary, O'Leary Ohio. And he said, after everybody goes to bed, I'm just going to blow out the flame. And either the house will blow up or we'll all, we'll all die in our sleep. And he did it. They went, they, they went to bed, and he went out, and he blew out all those flames, got in bed. And he said, no. He said, I can't kill my daughters. So he went, and he, I guess, turned the gas off. But they survived the night, never told him what he was going to do, and he just decided, I cannot kill my daughters, so I'll just kill myself. It was a very large um, quarry. He walked to the edge of the quarry, and he looked down, and he was ready to jump to end his life. That's the guy in the yellow square there. And somebody grabbed him by the shoulder and, and spun him around. And he looked, and there was nobody there. He got a letter from his mother shortly after that. She said, Son's, son, what's wrong? Mom said in her letter, she said, I just had such a, a compelling of God that you were in grave danger and she said our whole church is praying and fasting for you and that's when he knew what mom has is real and what was in her bible is real she said son you need to get saved well he didn't get saved at that point he got a divorce from his wife his sister was living in gary indiana so he moved to gary indiana his sister had gotten saved And she was going to church. He went to church with her, and he got saved. A preacher came through in this Hungarian Baptist church in Gary, Indiana. Preacher came through. And the preacher was from Connecticut, Hungarian preacher. And the preacher heard his story, and he said, I know somebody that, would be perfect for you. And get this. The young man there, by the way, his mom was back in Hungary praying for him. The young man there, he said, we're having preaching meetings in New York City. I want you to come to them. This was in the 1940s. I want you to come to them and, and you'll, you'll meet her. And so he rode a train out to New York City, went to the church service that night, met the girl. The next morning they were walking down Fifth Avenue. That's this guy in the yellow I just want you to remember who we're talking about here. They're walking down Fifth Avenue, 
He just met her the night before, and he turns to her and he says, will you marry me? <laughs> and she said, yeah, I will. And he said, okay. He got back on the train, went back home. The next time he saw her was their wedding. <laughs> they got married. They lived. They went to church there in the Hungarian Baptist Church in Gary, Indiana. And then something happened that in the early 1950s, they left that church and they started going to First Baptist Church of Hammond. And their pastor resigned. Pastor Owen Miller resigned. And they called this new pastor from Texas. By that time, they had a son. He was their only child. His name was John Vaprizan. And Brother Vaprizan, he said, I remember clearly when Brother Howes came as our new pastor. I'm not going to tell you all of Brother Vaprizan's story, except that when he, he was a young man and his grandmother went to heaven, and she'd been praying for him all those years. She'd been praying for them all those years, that lady right there. He got saved, and he didn't feel God's call to preach. Brother Vaprizan didn't. He went to college to become an accountant. He was working as an, as an accountant. He went to Bible Bob Jones University, and they, they taught him accounting. He got a job with an accounting firm that, at his request, placed him in Chicago, so he was able to live back home, go to First Baptist Church, and then one day he... He gave his life when 16 years old. He said, go, God, I'll do anything you want me to do. I'll go anywhere you want me to go, and I'll marry who you want me to marry. My life is yours. But he didn't feel any call to preach. And then one day on a, on a teen trip, I believe it was, he knew that God had called him to preach. And No, it wasn't a teen trip because he was already working in Chicago at this time. I messed that up. Um, he's already working as an accountant in Chicago, and, and he knew that uh, God was calling him to preach. And he went, he took a pastor's refresher course at the, in the first year of Howells Anderson College. He asked God, where do you want me to go? And he went to just outside of Detroit, Michigan, started a church there. The second Sunday after they started, the Anderson and Howells Anderson walks in because he lived nearby and he joined the church. He said, I had no idea Dr. Anderson was going to join the church. I never would have gone there. That church has brought tens and tens of thousands of people to Jesus Christ. I told you this morning, even though Dr. Anderson was not reached through Metro Baptist Church, he certainly has been a, an arm of Metro Baptist Church, and God has used him through that church. And I've told you about the millions of people that have come to Christ through his influence. But the, the ministry of Brother Vaprizan, and now both of his sons in the ministry. Because that lady knew God. So you're, you're sitting here tonight and saying, Pastor, I heard what you said this morning, but I can't do that. But you can do that. And you must, and I must. So don't fret about you don't know how to win a soul. And don't fret about, I don't think I could get somebody to come to church. I don't think I can, whatever you don't think you can do, don't fret about that. Just focus on the first great exploit of knowing God. There is something in the knowledge of Jesus Christ 
that you and I have not yet attained. There's something beyond where we've grown. We can know him. And the more, listen, that lady did not risk her life for that Bible without knowing Jesus Christ. He was real to her. And he can be real to you. Let's bow for prayer. Father, tonight I pray that you'd help us. I feel like I have not done a great job of communicating what's on my heart. But I know this. I know that when I was 16 years old, I heard a preacher preach on knowing God, and I didn't have any clue what that meant. And, Lord, I remember that day when I walked down there in that football field in front of that temporary platform there where the preacher was preaching. And I knelt there and I said, God, I don't know what it means to know you. But I want to know what it means. And I thank you that from that day till this. The great pursuit of my life has been to know you. Lord, I pray that you'd help somebody here tonight to catch that. I pray somebody here tonight would say there's something bigger than religion there's something bigger than church there's something bigger than just reading the bible or saying some prayers there is knowing god and i'm going to give my life to knowing god keep your heads bowed tonight for just a moment i wonder who's here tonight would say pastor i i've heard you talk about knowing god before i don't really know what that means but I want it. I want to live in pursuit of God. I want to know him. I want to know him. If that's you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I would ask you to nail that down with God in prayer. Would you make a trip to the altar and would you nail it down with God? I want to know God. You say, well, I've already made that decision. Then maybe it's I want to know God even better. Because here was Paul the apostle who had reached the world with the gospel and was about to die for the, for the message of the gospel. And here he is still saying that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. Let's stand together tonight as the piano plays. Why don't you make a trip to the altar and say, I want to know God. I I don't fully know what that means, but I want to know God. I don't know where that'll take me, but I want to know God. I don't know what it'll cost me, but I want to know God. I want to know God. Folks, we're not talking about religion tonight. We're talking about you and God. We're not talking about, I'm a Baptist. We're talking about you and God. We're not talking about... Hey, I know, I know 50 Bible verses. That's wonderful. Hey, I've, my prayer list is 20 pages long, and I pray through it every day. That's, that's hey, I'm not, I'm not criticizing that, but do you know God? There's plenty of people that can pray their way through a string of beads that don't know God. There's plenty of people that can face a wall and chant that don't know God. There's plenty of people that when a siren goes off, They stop what they're doing and they turn towards Mecca and they say some words, but they don't know God. Hey, there's there's plenty of religious people call themselves Christians and they probably are Christians, 
and they, they got the what would Jesus do bracelet. They got the fish symbol on the back of their car. But they don't know God. Do you know God? Do you want to know God? Will you live in passionate pursuit? Would you let this little lady from Hungary in the early 1900s remind you that you can change, you can touch thousands, tens of thousands of lives with the single exploit of knowing God, knowing God? Father, I pray that you'd forgive me forever trying to do without first being what I'm supposed to be and ever trying to be what I'm supposed to be without first knowing you. I pray that you'd help me to live in passionate pursuit of knowing Jesus Christ. I beg you, help me. And help everyone who knelt at this altar tonight. Show them the way. Give them clarity to see. And give them the courage to keep going after the pursuit of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, I pray. In Christ's name, amen.